Okay, we join Tom. Welcome everybody out. We do have those that are visiting. We're glad that you've come to be with us. And we just trust that our time together will be profitable, be beneficial as we open the word of the Lord. Encouraging you to get the Bibles out and follow along, the Bible out of the pew, and to examine what we have to say in light of the word of the Lord. We begin here with this photo. Does everybody recognize this place? It's an old photo. It goes back to about 1925. Anybody recognize this place? Uh, it is Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore stands 5,725 feet above sea level. That's what it looked like before they carved the faces into Mount Rushmore there in South Dakota. A few years ago, I went there, Gary and Barbara and Tammy, they were going out west, and that's one of the places they visited was Mount Rushmore. <laughs> Interesting story about Mount Rushmore. These fellows down at the bottom, particularly the fellow over on the left, Owen Robinson, he's the one that had an idea to in, uh, increase tourism there in that part of South Dakota to change that mountain uh, to the faces of uh, that would put on would be put on Mount Rushmore and anyway some other folks that were involved in that. They hired this fellow named Gutsan Borglum, Gutsan Borglum, and so from 1927 to 1941 they were working on Mount Rushmore. Not that they always were working that long period of time. What happened? They had funding. They got started. Got so far, and then of course you had the depression years, and so things were kind of tight. And so, uh, anyway, then they finally got enough funds raised to finish the, finish the job in 1941. And at the cost of $989,992.32. Don't forget that 32 cents, that's important. But anyway, so that's kind of a little bit of the history of, uh, of this mountain there in South Dakota. And so from this mountain came this beautiful monument. And that's in the morning light. The morning light is the time to see Mount Rushmore. In the evening, the sun goes over the mountain. Uh, it's not really as pretty, but in the morning light, it is absolutely gorgeous when you look at Mount Rushmore and you go down through this hall here and they've got all the flags of the states there and they've got all the states there uh, identified in, in the post there. Did you hear they're, they're going to add another face to Mount Rushmore? Anybody hear about that? Yeah. Here, here's a preview of what's going to look like up there. <laughs> <clears throat> I put this picture on Facebook and Jorge Gaetan down in uh, Bogota, Colombia, uh, traveled with him for a lot of years. He took the photograph and he put my face up there with it. He was pretty creative. I, I thought it was cute, but anyway. <clears throat> but no, here, here is Mount Rushmore. And this is kind of the platform that's called the viewing platform. And you look out and look up there to the mountain there of Mount Rushmore and those faces, the historical figures there. And then you'll see that stairs because that, of course, is kind of like an amphitheater. And then every night they play, they play uh, various uh, uh, music and uh, kind of patriotic music and theme. And then they light up at night the faces of Mount Rushmore. It's really kind of a neat place here. And what's interesting about this, that underneath, it's kind of like a building under there, and it's like a museum. And it gives a lot of history of the making of it and, and how they did that and all that. And they had these various signboards, but there was one signboard in particular that was really caught my attention, and that, of course, is Teddy Roosevelt. And if you can read it, the quote from Theodore Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt, the first requisite of a good citizen in this republic of ours is that he shall be able and willing to pull his weight, that he shall not be a mere passenger. 
I read that and I thought, boy, that, that's exactly right. I mean, he, he hit the nail on the head. If you, if you want to come to America, it's not to come and freeload off everybody, but to come and be able and pull your own way. Not be just a mere passenger. It's sort of like being in a, in a rowboat and everybody's supposed to be rowing and then somebody's not rowing. They're just, they're just kind of along for the ride. That's it more work for everybody else. Everybody's to kind of chip in is, is the idea. And so I thought about that a lot and I want to take that idea and uh, make application there. He shall, uh, he shall be able and willing to pull his weight that he shall not be a mere passenger. It's kind of like the story Barbara told about her and her sister there in this rowboat and she was just working and working and she looked around her sister just sitting there just watching. It, thought, it seemed awful hard. <laughs> she wasn't helping. That's the problem. She wasn't helping. All right, so we want to talk about this, uh, this concept. He should not be a mere passenger. That is, we are to be contributory. All right, as a citizen, that, that was the point of Teddy Roosevelt. If we're going to be a citizen of the United States, we don't need to be like a bump on the log. We don't need to be just a mere passenger, but we need to be an active participant in our society, in the country that we live in. We've got some verses there to look at. First off, Romans chapter 13, Paul says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resists the power, resists the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves judgment. For rulers are not a terror uh, to good works, but to evil. Will you, do, will you then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and you shall have praise of the same. For he is a minister of God to you for good, but if you do that which is evil, be afraid. For he bears not the sword in vain, for he is a minister of God and avenger to execute wrath upon them that do evil. Therefore you must be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For this cause pay you tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. We have responsibility in the country we live in to be a good citizen and to do good. You see, if you're doing good, then the police don't have to fool with you. They don't have to worry about you. They don't have to be concerned about you as you try to be a good citizen. They bear the sword, or today they bear a pistol, or they bear a, bear a taser. They don't bear that in vain. They don't just wear that just for looks. Sometimes it becomes necessary to use it. That is for the evildoers. And when you receive such, why well, you bring that upon your own head. There in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter says, Submit yourselves uh, to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to king as supreme or to governors as to them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. And then, of course, that Proverbs chapter uh, 14, verse 34, that righteousness uh, uh, exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. I like what I read many years ago, talking about being a good citizen. How can we be a good citizen? Put a flag out? Okay, no problem. No problem about being, putting your flag out. But if you want to be a good citizen, you want to be really patriotic, be a Christian. Be an influence for good. Be righteous. Be godly. That's what it says. Righteousness exalts a nation. If you want to be a good uh, citizen in our country is to be righteous, to be godly, be contributing to the society and the good of the society. It's like uh, JFK in his speech many years ago, asked not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. 
That's the idea. That's the idea that Teddy Roosevelt is talking about in this quote that I seen in that signboard there uh, in the museum there at uh, Mount Rushmore. We don't need to be just a mere passenger, a bump on the log, just floating along. We need to be a contributing factor uh, in uh, what is good as a citizen. Then let's just narrow that on down and talk about in a neighborhood. We all live within a neighborhood. Sometimes it's more it's more urban, sometimes more rural, but we all live in a neighborhood, and we have responsibilities along that line. Not to be just a mere passenger, but to be a contributing person, and to work, and to, uh, and to do. There, Matthew chapter 22, one of, the, uh, one of them, who was a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, saying, Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And, of course, he said, uh, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then he says, this is the first and great commandment. Now notice, number two, and the second shall be like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. There you've got commandment number one, commandment number one, the greatest, love God with all your heart. Commandment number two, love your neighbor as yourself. We live in neighborhoods. We have neighbors. A neighbor just simply means one who is nice. Wherever we live, that would be our neighbor. But see, that's potentially anybody because we could be traveling somewhere and they become our neighbor. Somebody could be traveling in our area and we are associated with them and that would be our neighbor. There in Proverbs chapter 3, it says, Withhold not good from uh, them to whom it is due when it is in your power uh, of your hand to do it. Say not unto your neighbor, Go and come again tomorrow and I will give when you have it with you. It's like the story of the Good Samaritan. That here the fellow that was beat up, taken advantage of, left half dead. The priest and the Levite, they saw him. It wasn't like they missed him. They saw him. They looked upon him. And they passed by on the other side. But it was the Samaritan who came along and gave a helping hand to his neighbor. You see, that's the ideal. Don't be just a mere passenger in society that we come upon a situation when we can do good. And we can offer help and assistance be one who is active and ready to help and be, uh, be a good neighbor in the society, in the neighborhood that we live in. But let's look at another application of this idea. Not to be just a mere passenger, but to pull our own weight. That's in the workplace. There in the book of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5 beginning, servants, and Paul talks about the slave-master relationship, but we'll just parallel that of course, with the principles of the employer-employee uh, relationship. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of heart as unto Christ, not with eye service. That is, as long as the master is looking, as long as the boss is looking, you know, be there, be busy, and then when the boss is gone, just do whatever. No. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as unto the Lord and not unto men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man does, he shall receive, uh, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he bond or free. And you masters do the same thing unto them, forbearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there any respect to persons with him. So we have responsibilities, whether you're in the, the boss relationship, the employer relationship, or you're in the employee relationship. We have principles that are talked about in this passage, not to be a mere passenger and just sort of float along and let everybody else do the work. No, everybody pulls their own weight. 
Then there in the book of Colossians chapter 3, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in seamless heart fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto man. So, so the mindset is for the worker is that I'm working, I'm going to work hard, not to be pleasing to men, but as, if it, as it were unto the Lord. Because God's going to see all things. And if we're doing it to please him and to satisfy him and be a good influence for, for, for Jesus as we work unto him, well, Jesus is going to take note of that. Knowing that of the Lord, you shall receive the reward of your inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he that does wrong shall receive for the wrong that he has done. There is neither respect, and there is no respect of person. Chapter 4 and verse 1, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So again, we have these passages that talk about the master-slave. We parallel that with the, the employer-employee relationship. That we're to be not mere passengers, not set around like a bump on the lawn. Before I went into full-time preaching, I was working at Wood Mosaic. They, it was basically a veneer mill. We sometimes made, we, we cut lumber and dealt with that. But it was mostly cutting veneer. And it was a big operation. And uh, we had a union. And the union has its place and purpose for good because it used to be that the employers and the owners sort of took advantage of people and so the union was formed to, to protect that. But then unions kind of went the opposite extreme. Then they began protecting the slouchy workers and that always just... That always rubbed me wrong. You tried to work, and you see these, these people that were so slouchy, and they were just wanted to be passengers and, uh, in the workforce there, and everybody had to keep them up. And that just sort of rubbed me wrong that the union were protecting them. Didn't like that, because everybody's to pull his own weight. Let me look at another application. Family. This concept that Teddy Roosevelt, he shall be able and willing to pull his weight that he shall not be a mere passenger in the family. Yeah, principles apply the same here also. In the book of Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let their wives be also unto the, uh, to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. And for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined in his wife, and they two shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you particular so love his wife, even as himself and the wife see that she uh, respect or reverence her husband. So there are a long list of things that talking about the relationship of, of wives and husbands, husbands and wives, in the family relationship. Each have obligations, each have things to do. Not to be just a mere passenger to let the other do all the work, but both have something to contribute and activities and responsibilities in the family relationship. Move into chapter 6. Then we look at the other relationships. Children, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first coming with promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. 
And you fathers provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So you've got children, and they're going to have responsibility. Now, when they're little bitty, and they're babies and infants, they, do, they don't do much but just look cute, and you just kind of hug on them and take care of them, but they soon can learn to help around the house and to be a contributing factor. That they can, you know, it, it always seemed to me that if little kids can get toys out of the toy box, they, they would have the capacity to put them back in the toy box. I mean, if you can take them out, surely you can put them back in. And so it's just a matter of teaching them to put them back in. Just like they learn to take them out, they can learn to put them back in. And they can work around the house and help and give chores. And that, of course, is part of training of, uh, with kids and uh, training to take care of themselves, training to feed themselves, training them to tie their shoes, etc. They have responsibilities in the family unit. And then parents have responsibilities in the family unit. Not to sit around like just a mere passenger, but to pull your own weight. Parents have responsibility. It says, and you fathers, provoke not your children to anger. I think, I think fathers are more apt to do it, but it's not saying that mothers cannot provoke children to anger. anger. They can. It's kind of like what Jesus says, for a man to look upon a woman with lust, he's committed adultery already in his heart. It's not saying that women can't do it, just men are more apt to do it. But women can look upon men with lust also. So let's look at one more passage there in uh, uh, Colossians chapter 3. There in Colossians chapter 3, there in verses 18, 18 through uh, 20, uh, 21. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as is fit in the Lord. Okay, wives are talked about in the family union. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Husbands in the family ownership. Children, obey your parents. Uh, in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Children have responsibilities in the family relationship. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. So again, responsibilities in all the relationships in the family unit. You know, Paul talks about, if any man would not work, neither should he eat. You see, would not work shows moral charge. He didn't say, if any man cannot work, because sometimes we become incapacitated, can't. It's like, when I was growing up, uh, there was four, 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 uh, well, I had four brothers and our younger sister, our, uh, our younger sister, Tina, she, she was an invalid. She had cerebral palsy. She could never walk or talk. So she wasn't uh, a contributing uh, factor in that sense because she wasn't able to. No problem. Nobody had any problem of people that cannot, do not have the capacity. But when people have the capacity that are able and then don't do it, well, then that, that's the big problem there. All right, then we've got one more area as we talk about this concept. As a citizen, we need to be able to pull our weight and willing to do that. In the neighborhood, in the workplace, in the family, and the last one we want to look at, yep, in the church. We're to be workers in the church. We talked about that in class just a mo uh, there for a moment. David said, you know, we're all to be workers. Now, we're, we're not working in the sense of trying to earn salvation because nobody does work and earn salvation, but God wants us to be workers. God's looking for workers in the vineyard of the Lord, not looking for shirkers. He's looking for workers. You see, the shirker, he wants to put it all and let everybody else do it. You know, let them do it. Let they can do it. Well, who's they? Well, we're all part of the church. We're all part of the family. And we all need to be workers in the kingdom of God. 
Notice there in Ephesians chapter 4, 15 and 16. But speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him in all things, who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, the whole body, if we're in the church, we're part of the body. We're all members of the same body. The whole body, the total body, being fitly joined together and uh, knit together by which every joint, the whole body, so every Christian is talked about with the phrase whole body. Every joint supplies. That talks all of us in. We're a member of the church. Paul's speaking to us. Uh, every joint supplies according to the effectual working and measure of every part. Three times he talks about every Christian should be a worker. Should be a worker in the kingdom of God. The effectual working of, of the measure of every part maketh increase of the body into the edifying of itself in love. Every single one of us have obligations in the body of Christ. We're all to be workers. We sometimes sing the song, I want to be a worker. I want to be a worker once every Sunday? No, I want to be a worker every day. If we're Christian, we're going to be working every day. And then look at that text over there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul, again, goes back to the idea of body and members. Verse 12 beginning, 1 Corinthians 12. For as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. So if we're in the church, we're in the body of Christ, and we look at our human body. I mean, just look at your body. We've got feet, we've got ankles, we've got legs, we've got hips, we've got torso, we've got arms, we've got shoulders, neck, etc. We've got all these body parts in the human body, different members, but still just one body. I always like how the Bible just uses illustrations that everybody can, can, can comprehend. So it doesn't make any difference whether you live down in Mexico or you live over in the Philippines or you live down in Chile or down in Ecuador. You go to all these places and teach and it works perfectly because we all have bodies. We can all comprehend that. For, one, uh, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we're Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free. And have, have been all made to drink of that one spirit, for the body is not one member, but many. So when you talk about the body, and Paul said the body is the church, so if you talk about the body, you're talking about the church, it's not one member. So if you're talking to one member, you're talking to one person, a, a, a man, an individual, is not a church. We're a part of the church, but we're not the church. But the body, if the church, is made up of many members. For the body is not uh, one member, but many. And then there are two extremes that Paul talks about in the body. The first one is, if the foot shall say, because I'm not the, I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, am I not the body, is it not therefore of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing, where would be the hearing? If the whole body were hearing, where would be the smelling? The point there is that sometimes we can think too less of ourselves. We think, well, you know, I don't get up and preach, okay? I don't ever get up and lead singing, okay? You know, I'd never be an elder in the Lord's church, okay? You know, I'm not going to be a preacher, an evangelist, going about preaching the gospel, okay? But that doesn't mean you don't have a function in the body. That's what he says there. I mean, the foot can't say, well, you know, I'm not a hand. Well, of course you're not a hand. You're a foot, but a foot has a function in the body. So what if you're not a preacher of the gospel? 
You have a function in the body of Christ. So what if you never teach a Bible class? You have functions and, and capacities and things to do in the body of Christ to contribute to the work of the Lord. Everybody has something to contribute. So don't think too less of yourself. That's one problem that Paul talks about. Uh, verse 18. But now has God set the members, everyone in them, in the body as it pleased him. And if they were all one member, where would be the body? But now you are many members, yet but one body. Then I cannot say unto that, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less respectable parts have greater respect. For our, for our more respectable parts have no need, but God has arranged the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacks. Now, the other extreme is, as Paul talks about here in this text there, there in verse 21, that I cannot say to that, I have no need of you. Now, if we kind of get the big head and think that we're more important than everybody else, that's a wrong attitude to have in the body of Christ. We think, well, you know, hey, I lead singing, and boy, you know, I'm, I, that's really important. Well, okay, that's an important job. But everybody else has an important job to contribute. If all you had was a song leader, then you just always hear one person singing. It's a lot better to have the group singing. That's what God has ordained for all of us to sing. That's the point that Paul's making. That I cannot say to the head, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Everybody is important. So don't think too low, like, well, I'm not important. You are important. And don't think too high and disrespect others because everybody in the body of Christ is important and has something to contribute to the body. It's like if you run and play basketball and jump. You know what's important? You say, well, yeah, you've got to have legs. Yeah, you got to have legs. But you know what? You've got to have big toes, too. Just try to jump without using your big toe. It doesn't work very good. Big toes are really important, really, really important, and, and walking in general, and, and running, and jumping. The point is that every member is important in the body. You know, some things that are just out there, like your hands are out there, your face, your neck, you, you see those parts, and arm, and they think, well, those are really important. They are important, but every other part's important, too. You think, what about kidneys? We, we don't see kidneys, but ki kidneys perform a very important function in your body, getting rid of uh, the, uh, the pollution and excess fluids, etc. And just go without kidneys, and you see how long you're going to live. It won't be very long. You either get on dialysis or hope you get a kidney transplant. Kidneys are vitally important in, in the health of the body, in the function of the body. And the point is, everybody has something to contribute. Every part supplies something in the body. So don't think too low of yourself. Don't think too high. Look at yourself as, as a member of the body, and we all have something to contribute to the body. Then notice there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58. Paul said, therefore, my beloved apostles. No, he did not say that. He did not say, therefore, my beloved prophets. He did not say that. He did not say, therefore, my beloved elders. He didn't say that. Therefore, my beloved Bible class teachers. He didn't say that. He didn't say, therefore, my beloved uh, uh, preachers and song leaders. No. He said, therefore, my beloved brethren. 
That's all of us. Paul addresses all of us in this text. Therefore, my beloved brother, brethren, brothers and sisters, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Everybody has something to contribute in the body of Christ. Everybody is important in the body of Christ. We're not to be a mere passenger in the church and let everybody else do the work. Everybody has something to contribute. Everybody has something to, uh, to add to the body of Christ, to the work of the Lord, to pull our own weight, to be able and willing to use our, our capacities in the work of the Lord. In Matthew chapter 25, in the parable of the talents, it says, For the kingdom of heaven is likened to a, a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And to the one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, and to every man according to his ability, and immediately took his journey. And he that had received the five talents, that is a great sum of money, went and traded with the same and made five other talents. And likewise, uh, he that had received two, he gained other two. But he that had received one went and dug in the earth and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he said to him that had received five talents, uh, they came and brought the other talents, saying, uh, Lord, you delivered unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained uh, besides them five talents more. And his Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. He didn't say, You good and perfect servant. Doesn't have the capacity to say that because nobody's perfect. We strive, that's our goal, certainly, that we want to try to do always the right thing. We come short of that, but faithful, yeah, we can. That, that, that's something that, that's attainable. We can be good, have the, the good intention, the good disposition that we want to be a servant of the Lord, and we can be faithful. We can be reliable. We can be trustworthy. We can be counted on. That's what the Lord's looking. He's looking for workers, faithful, reliable workers. And the two-talent man, same thing. And then he comes to the one-talent man, down there in verse 24. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew that you are a hard man, uh, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not uh, spread. And I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the earth, and lo, uh, there you have what is yours. And he answered and said to him, you wicked and slothful. Slothful is that idea. You're, you're a lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I had sown not, and I gather where I have not spread. You ought therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received my own with interest. Take therefore the talent uh, from him, and give it to him that had ten talents. For every one that has shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But from he that has not shall be taken away even that which he has, and cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, the point is, we all have various abilities. And the problem with the one-town man, not because he had little ability that he was condemned. He was condemned because he didn't use what ability he had. Whether you've got a lot of talent, you've got medium or little, we all have something to contribute to the, to the body of Christ, to the work of the Lord. Everybody has something that they can do in the, in the body of Christ. In Matthew chapter 13, in the parable of the sower there, it says in verse 8, But others uh, fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirtyfold. See, every plant was productive. Hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. Difference of ability there, capacity, but everybody was producing. 
Not being a mere passion, not being like the lazy one-talent man that's described there in Matthew chapter 25. Everybody has something to contribute in the cause of Christ, in the work of the Lord. And then one more passage there in Mark chapter 14. And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he set a table, there came a woman having an alabaster flask of ointment, a pure nard, very precious, and she broke the flask and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence or 300 denarii. That would be 300 days wages, almost a year's wages. Whatever you're working in, whether you work at McDonald's, whether you work at a factory, whether you're a CEO, a year's wages, that, that represents pretty valuable stuff there. Could have been sold for 300 pence, 300 denarii, and given to the poor, and they murmured against her. And Jesus said, let her alone, why trouble you her? For she has wrought a good work on me. What's interesting about this passage where it says she has worked a good work? You look that up in the Bible dictionary, Mr. Strong says it means a beautiful, excellent work. She has wrought a beautiful work. Literally is the idea of what she had done for the Lord. For you have the poor with you always, and whensoever you will, you may do them good. But me you have not always. And then look at verse 8. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burying. She's done what she could. Just think about that. She's done what she could. There are lots of things she couldn't do, but this is something that she could do, and she did it. And it was a beautiful work what she did. And the lesson we learn... Just do what you can. Don't sit around thinking, well, you know, I can't do this. You know, there's no way I could go overseas and teach. You know, there's no way I could do this. You know, I don't think I could ever lead singing. Well, be a singer in the congregation and sing out to the best of your ability. I can't, you know, I can't do this and I can't do that. Don't worry about that. Just do what you can. Whether you have five talents, two talents, one talent, just do what you can. Be a worker in the kingdom of God. Not a shirker, but a worker. And do it with joy. Whatever you're doing, do it with joy. Do it with happiness. Do it with gladness. Remind me of the story. <clears throat> Steve Lee's youngest uh, daughter, Caitlin. She started school several years ago. And it started like they do kind of now. Start like middle of the week, maybe Wednesday or Thursday. And she, she cried the first few days. Every day she was crying at school. And so that weekend, Steve and Cammie, they talked with Caitlin and said, Now, Caitlin, now this coming week, if you go to school and every day you don't cry and it comes along Friday, we're going to go to Dairy Queen and get whatever you want. You can just get whatever you want. And so Monday she went to school and she didn't cry. And Tuesday she went to school and she didn't cry. And Wednesday she went to school and she didn't cry. And long about Wednesday she told her mom and dad, she said, You know, school's a lot more fun if you don't cry. You know, when it comes to the work of the Lord, don't sit and whine, pout, and cry about what I can't do and what I have to do and I just bemoan it. Just do what you can and do it with joy. Do it with gladness. Things that you do with gladness, you do it willingly because it's not burdensome. You see, serving the Lord is not a great burden. It's not irksome. It is something that's a pleasure when you have the right mindset. That you want to just do what you can in the service of the Lord. Jesus done so much for us. More than we could ever do for ourselves. Because he came to this world. That was, that was big enough. 
And then he came and he lived a life of a servant, of a slave, always working and doing for others. And then he ultimately died on the cross, something that we can never do for ourselves. And the, 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 the attitude of gratitude, of just, just, just uh, to stand in awe of what Jesus did for us, moves us to want to do and, and, and to respond unto him. And so whatever area that you want to talk about, yeah, be able and willing to pull your weight. Whether it be in society, whether it be in the neighborhood, whether it be at the workplace or in the family or in the church, just do what you can. And God will be well pleased. He will be satisfied. We extend the invitation of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There might be one here that's never obeyed the gospel. The steps of salvation are clearly outlined. We hear this good news. As we see there in the book of Acts chapter 2 verse 22, you may have ever heard these words. We're to believe on Jesus Christ, Romans 1.16. Then we're to confess, we're to repent and to confess and be baptized. We've got a pool of water up here, clothes for you to change into. You can obey the gospel even this day. Come up out of that water, your grave, grow, be faithful unto death. Just be a willing worker. Just do what you can. Just do what you can. And do it with joy and do it with gladness. And your life will be happy in your service to the Lord. He'll help you to grow and be with you every step of the way. And if you do, Eric, come back to the repentance and prayer. We're going to sing this song of encouragement. One here in these, obey the gospel. We can help you in any way. You come and let us know. Why together as we stand. As we sing.